Well, before we get into this, uh, um, this actual part of Acts chapter 10, there's been a lot of setup. A lot of it gets explained actually within the passage itself. But it's, uh, there's been a lot going on. Um, the centurion Cornelius um, has been introduced. And he's had this wonderful vision of an angel and uh, that has come to him while he's been praying. And he decides to do what the angel says, to send for Peter, who is in Joppa. And he sends off a, a couple of his servants and also a soldier, deputation of three men, um, to go to Joppa. Meanwhile, Peter has been presented with a vision of what would have been considered unclean food and has, after a degree of reluctance, it's fair to say, decided that God wanted to give him a message that was not about having a bush tucker trial. It was not simply about eating food that he didn't really fancy. It was a much deeper meaning as regards the rituals of his past religion and about the inclusion that would be there in the future. The reading, which starts at 23b, um, however, um, begins with a bit of a delay. Because Joppa and Caesarea are a distance apart. And we see that distance expressed in, in the traveling time. You know, between sending off the men to go to Peter and them actually arriving just as Peter's starting to pray, there's about 18 hours. It's, it's kind of about a day's worth of travel. And then they rest before starting the journey back. So it says four days ago when he comes to explaining uh, why he sent them in. So it's quite a distance. And we sometimes miss that sense of the distance. Um, because quite often when this is shared in churches, they don't start at 23b. They don't start till 25. In fact, in the, the common lectionary that's shared in many churches, it, it, it's a bit later. We miss that, that traveling and that wandering on the journey, what's going to be there. It misses out something. It misses out about how faithful to God that Peter is. And also how faithful to God Cornelius already is. He is a man who prays. He's not a Jewish man. But he's a man who prays and considers things. And has heard from the Lord. And wants to respond to it. And he knows it's got to be time. He knows that there's distance involved, but he's willing to wait for that. 
And you don't know what's going on in Peter's head as a couple of men and a soldier arrive and say, come on, let's go and share something of what you need to share. Is the soldier there as a bodyguard to protect Peter and the men on the journey? Or is he intended to be a threatening presence? You know, nice invitation. Come and join with me at this senior officer's house. The soldier might give that message a slight reinforcement, but it wasn't needed. Because Peter would respond. But with him come some brothers from Joppa. It would seem that there's actually about six men travel from Joppa um, to be with Peter. Making the total count on that journey ten. The church is moving. There's got to be witnesses to whatever happens there. These people from Joppa are not just there as bystanders or along for the ride. They're going to go, they're going to pray. There are going to be people of God that will see what happens. And lots of things have been happening in the church. So it's pretty sure that something's got to happen. As each day people are added to the number. What's got to happen at the home of a centurion? Well, one might imagine that a centurion, uh, a man who commands authority, um, would be the one that people would bow down to. But when Peter enters, when Peter, the humble former fisherman, enters the room, it's the officer who drops down on his knees. It's the opposite of what society would expect. Peter says, stand up. And of course, a soldier. Cornelius obeys. John Stott, uh, in his uh, commentary in the uh, book of Acts, um, used a little bit of wordplay. He says... Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were a god and to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog. But it gets that sense. Peter says, I'm just a man. I'm a man like you. I'm human. I'm not in that place for being bowed down to. And that explanation is something that we would do well to remember. We are all human. And we all have frailties. We are all people who have sinned. But we can all be forgiven and made new.
we are also all human, equal in the sight of God. He sees us as we truly are. He looks beyond the facade that we put on and knows the truth that is in our hearts. Um, before I trained for the ministry, I, I was a scientist, and I, re- I remember uh, reading a biography um, by the theoretical uh, physicist Richard Feynman. And uh, in the 1930s, uh, Richard Feynman's father had been a tailor. And uh, the work that he did was mainly uniforms. And he commented that uh, a general, when he is not wearing his trousers, has no more authority than a bellhop. We're all the same. We might wear different uniforms, we might rise to different places, but we are actually all the same. But we don't always treat people the same. We frequently treat people differently. Might use language that is prejudiced against people because of their nationality or their race, or their culture, or some other difference. And we might not do it intentionally. Indeed, in in Westminster, both Labour and Tory parties are in a bit of a mess at the moment. Because they have spoken and acted in ways that suggest either anti-Semitic or perhaps racist things in their behaviour. Now, that, that might not have been what was intended, but it's how it plays out. If we think we have more rights than others, that we can do things that others can't, if we put others down, if we consider ourselves to have a higher place of honour, then not only are we deluded, but we are failing to follow the gospel of truth that God loves the whole world and sent his son for the world rather than simply people like us. And that's the gospel that Peter preaches in this passage. That there is a gift from God. And we can be saved by him. 
Peter, as he entered that house, to bring the message. It says that he has broken the law. That there was a barrier between people. But that God has revealed that to enter that house was the right thing to do. More accurately translated, Peter uh, has broken a Jewish tradition rather than an actual law. He's not going against the Torah in entering the Gentiles' home. But what he has done has gone against the culture that has developed alongside the Torah. He has gone against the legalistic ways that were being understood and forced upon people. The intention of God for the children of Abraham was always that they would be an example to the nations. So that in time, all the nations would see and turn to the Lord too. That they would want that same relationship modeled by the children of Abraham. In some ways, a bit like Adam's sketch there. The children of Abraham were supposed to be a good example of this is how you live. But of course, and I'm sure, Adam wasn't actually thinking of that himself. It was was purely for the artistic side of storytelling that the words came out of his mouth. But they started to think that way. That we are perfect. We do things this way. This is how it must be. And they built their own laws and wrote their own rules that was far beyond what God had intended. We too in the church fall into our funny ways and our set approach can create barriers rather than spread the gospel. It can prevent relationship with God rather than introduce it. One of the great benefits of being here together you know, is you get bits from each other. It's one of the great things about this village and the three churches. We can see each other's practice. We can hear each other's words. We can learn and grow from one another. And as we do that, we discover that things don't always have to be the same. We don't need it regimented and done one way because it's always done that way. Our faith is in Christ our Savior, not a particular translation of the Bible, not in a hymn book or a meeting place, not in a musical instrument or a denomination. Our faith is in Christ the Lord. This week, tomorrow, in fact, I'm, uh, I'm going up to Staffordshire 
for a few days, um, where I'll be meeting with about 400 other United Reformed Church ministers. And uh, we've never met for a spring school like this. We've never, never since the URC was formed by the union of the Congregationalists and the Presbyterians in 1972, have we had a time when we've said, right, let's see if we can get all the ministers together. I think they've been a bit surprised at how many of us said, yes, we'll come. And that's given them some logistics issues. Um, but, but we're gathering. And as we do that, I know some of these people really well. I've trained with them. I've been on summer schools with them. I've been round to their home for a cup of tea. And maybe even a bit more. But there's others that I've never met. There will be some who are evangelical in their theology. And possibly, knowing the URC, a good many more that are not. <laughs> but each of us, each one of those ministers that we'll be gathering, um, will at some point in the past, for me it was in 2004, but at some point in the past, we will have proclaimed that a zeal for the glory of God, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, obedience to the Holy Spirit, and a desire for the salvation of the world are the chief motives that lead us to enter ministry. We have this faith in common. We might understand how it plays out in different ways. And sometimes you sort of look at others even within the same denomination and go, really? But we all want that faith to be proclaimed. That greatness. And I'm, I'm sure the same is true for Mervyn. Zeal for the glory of God bursts forth from Peter in this passage. The gospel is proclaimed to the household who are gathered. Many are gathered in that house. There's a sort of suggestion uh, uh, as Peter goes into the room that he's maybe a bit bowled over by quite how many are in there already. There's a hint that it's maybe more than would normally be in a home. And Cornelius is there. He's a man who faithfully trusted, who has spent time in prayer, who's given to the poor. Not Jewish. He's a Gentile. But, yeah, as happens a number of times in the Old Testament, although not descended from Abram, is a man who knows and fears the one true God. And as the good news is heard by the centurion and by the household that is there, the Holy Spirit moves. And the Holy Spirit moves, bringing a real sense of its presence. 
The Spirit touches each one. Bringing forth a gift of tongues. And that demonstrated to to those people that were from Joppa that something incredible had happened. These were different people, but yet the Spirit had come and blessed them. It demonstrates to all that the seal of the Lord was upon their hearts. Now, it'd be wrong to take from this passage that all who receive the Spirit, all that come to faith, speak in tongues. But it was probably necessary in this case that such a manifestation of the Spirit's power was so obviously present so that the men of Joppa with Peter could not help but be amazed and that it would be known that God was in that place and that God was touching these people. The Spirit has baptized them. But Peter suggests they be baptized with water. He says, why? You know. Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? He orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. And this would allow their public confession of faith. But it would also mean that those that did like the legalistic side, those that did like everything to be neat and tidy and I's dotted and T's crossed, would know that everything had been done. There could be no quibbling, no going back. It brought it all together. Nobody could dispute it in the future as to whether Cornelius and the large gathering had heard and received the gospel, whether they had or had not truly come to faith. It would mark a time of commitment and shows that Peter and the disciples were taking on board the Great Commission, which I was preaching on here this morning. Great Commission of going to the world to make disciples, to baptize, and then to teach. Teaching so that all the commandments, all the instructions that Jesus had given them would be understood. As our time together tonight draws towards a close, there's a question. Are we, like Peter, ready to commit ourselves to go on a journey? To be truly Jesus' disciples. Disciples that don't just have faith themselves, but seek to share that faith with others. Even with 
people who are quite different. Peter had the vision. He knew what he must do. And there's times that we need to examine ourselves and say, what is the Lord saying? And then live the way he shows, taking his love to the nations. Amen.